You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space, and we are into very much the home run. There are five uh, five chapters to go. So, well, we're almost there. Thank you for sticking with me through this very, very long epic space opera. As always, the blame is largely on the shoulders of Alessandra Dumas, but I will accept my share in it. One of the key secrets they never tell you about writing a serialised novel is it's really hard to keep track of the word count, or rather to stop the word count blowing out, uh, because you're paying attention to other things. Okay, chapter 58 of Musketeer Space, Cold Hands, Red Cloak. Dana stayed on the snowy landing until warm hands came to take her away. An arm wrapped around her and led her into the echoing meeting hall. It wasn't until she was inside, breathing air that didn't hurt her lungs, that she realised it was Aramis who had hold of her. When did you get here? Just arrived, said Aramis, squeezing her close. Damn it, Dana, you'd been out there for hours. Didn't the nuns try to move you? They may have said some things, didn't sink in. She remembered the old one, Sister Ursa, informing her that Conrad was dead. And things got rather hazy after that. Something clicked inside Dana as she saw Porthos and Athos, still wearing their thick winter gear, talking to several concerned-looking nuns. Someone was missing. "'Where's Roe?' she asked aloud. "'Your guess is as good as ours,' Aramis said. "'She was long gone when we arrived.' Dana huffed at that. Her lungs felt raw and painful as she warmed up. She went after him, she guessed. "'Entirely possible.' Across the room, Athos met Dana's gaze and then looked away. It was Porthos who came over and held Dana's hand while she broke the news to her. There's surveillance footage, she said. Turns out these nuns are as committed to security as they are to fleur-de-lis. Lot of good it did, Conrad, Dana said bitterly. They let my lord waltz right in here, cause he looked like one of them. Porthos looked sick. Athos is checking the footage now, she said, but it looks very much like Special Agent Cho met up with Milord between your arrival and ours. They left together. Oh, so that was a thing that had happened. Dana didn't cry. Not even when Athos showed her the footage that proved that ten minutes after Conrad Sue officially died, Rosne Cho was halfway down the fucking mountain, in conversation with a figure that the other nuns identified as Sister Snow, a recent addition to their community. A murderer. The two of them left together after what looked like an extremely amiable seven-minute conversation, which did not involve anyone arresting anyone else. Dana did not cry, but she did get angry. So angry that her friends had to hold her down, pin her to the wall so she didn't rampage through the convent that had failed so badly 
as a safe house. At one point she came back to herself and realised she was standing in that damp snowy courtyard again. Athos had been patiently letting her hit him in the chest for a while. Sorry, she muttered and wiped her mouth. Her knuckles ached with bruises and cold. Athos gave her a thin smile. Could be worse. You could be grieving on a mountain top. So fucked up, you think, joining the musketeers is a good idea. Oh, wait. Dana blinked at that and looked around. Is this the same mountain? No, this isn't the mountain, Dana. That mountain is a long way from here. What's it called? I want to see it. It's called Athos, he said, and watched her dissolve into a fit of shocked laughter. Shut up. You named yourself after a mountain. It was a significant mountain. The laughter had been a bad idea, because Dana couldn't stop now, and, oh, maybe she was crying after all. A look of panic crossed Athos's face, and he summoned the others. I only signed up for anger and denial, he said, and propelled Dana into the arms of Porthos and Aramis. They bundled her away from the courtyard, into a small and comforting room that was almost warm. Dana buried her face in the chilled coat of Porthos, and sobbed loudly, messily, while Aramis stroked her close-shorn scalp. Milord was gone. He'd done exactly what he came for, made the most predictable move, and they hadn't been able to stop him. He'd got away with it. Roe, damn her, was helping him. Of course she was. The Cardinal must still have some use for my Lord de Winter. That betrayal hurt more than it should have. A horrible noise was coming out of her now. It was embarrassing, but she couldn't stop it. Tight arms pinned her down, kept her safe. Her friends taking turns to hug her as she cried. Dana felt the sharp stubble of a close-cut beard against her cheek and realised it was Athos who held her now. She could hear Aramis and Porthos talking in low voices across the other side of the room. I don't know what to do, Dana gasped. Love is what kills us, said Athos, his voice rough. Nothing else can destroy the human race half so fast. I suspect he was sent here to hurt us in the worst possible ways. It's the only explanation. Dana headbutted him lightly. She had no more words. Okay, said Porthos, in a businesslike voice, coming back to them. Dana, ready to get back into the game? Is it revenge time yet? Dana asked in a small voice. She was tired of all these feelings. Here's the thing, said Aramis, bright-eyed and excited. They left in the higher skimmer, the same when you and Cho arrived here in Dana. Dana frowned at her. So? So Planchet can track it. Aramis waved a clamshell at her. We know which way they're going. That's good, said Athos. Let's go. Porthos and Aramis both gave him a look 
Dana knew that look. It was an expression they usually used behind his back. What aren't you telling us? she asked. From their current route, said Aramis, awkwardly. Planchet suspects they are heading for the province of La Faire. Athos nodded, as if this was no more or less than he had expected. If anyone attempts to talk to me about my feelings, he said stiffly, I'm going to throw them out of the skimmer. Why aren't we in the skimmer already? Porthos gave him a hearty clap on the shoulder. That's the spirit. I will end you. They made their hasty farewells to the shell-shocked star nuns and headed back out to where the musketeers had docked the second skimmer some way back down the snowy steps. Athos stayed protectively close to Dana all the way. She wasn't sure whether to hit him or hug him, but she settled for saying nothing at all. Athos made some calls from the skimmer. He spoke quietly in his new aristocrat voice. He gave coordinates and sent texts, and his face was so thunderous that no one, not Dana, Aramis, nor Porthos, dared to ask him exactly what he was doing. We're going to have some company in La Faire, was all he told them. I've had a thought, said Porthos. The others looked at her, except Aramis, who was piloting the skimmer. Well, Dana said expectantly, there's no way Agent Cho didn't know we could track the skimmer. Maybe she's not on his side after all. Dana stared at her boots and thought about throwing up. La Faire was a thousand square kilometres of grey rock, picturesque lavender hills and a pale green grazing land. Hardly anyone lived here. There was one medium-sized town near the Bethune border, a handful of rural villages, a scattering of farms. As far as Athos was aware, the whole place got along swimmingly, without any occupants playing Lord of the Manor from the Dauterville estate. Then again, Olivier Armand Dauterville was believed to be dead. For all Athos knew, the estate could be crawling with distant cousins who had turned the place into a strip club casino. The thought of a giant disco ball rotating from the ceiling of his maman's picture-perfect salonier or the family silver being sold off to pay for a bulk batch of roulette wheels would be enough to make him smile on any other day. Here he was, chief phantom in his very own ghost story, about to face the worst demon of his past. Sober. I don't understand why my lord would return home like this, said Porthos, and Athos had to work very hard to conceal a twitch at the word home in this context. Surely he knows that the La Faire estate is the most obvious place for us to look for him. Sometimes the guilty seek penance, said Aramis, wearing her religious contemplation hat. The worst criminals often want to get caught. He's doing it to make me follow him ground out Athos. Wasn't it obvious to the rest of them? 
to force me to go home. All he has left now is revenge. That's why he killed Conrad, said D'Artagnan, in a small voice that reminded Athos all over again how damned young she was. Revenge against me. Of course, Athos said, only to be faced with blazing expressions of both Aramis and Porthos in matching performances of Shut up, Athos, you just said something tactless. I mean, who can truly know the mind of a madman? Good save, D'Artagnan said dryly. She had not missed the expressions. The tracker led them directly to Foile, the village nearest the Orteville Manor. Home. Aramis brought them down practically on top of the higher skimmer that was identical to their own on the outskirts of town. That's my ship, said Dana, her head coming up as she recognised the bright yellow eyesore that was the buttercup, already docked on the grass, alongside the skimmer and Athos's own pistachio. I got in touch with the NGs, Athos admitted. Good idea, said Porthos. Athos shrugged uncomfortably, aware that he had been taking the lead on this, something he generally preferred not to do. Responsibility was a terrible addiction that destroyed lives. On the other hand, his husband had just murdered D'Artagnan's boyfriend. Therefore, Athos was going to accept a certain amount of responsibility until the bastard was dead. He could quit leadership any time he liked. If there's a chance we can get this sewn up this afternoon, I don't want to waste any time getting us off the fucking planet, he grumbled. Aramis leaned over and prodded him in the stomach to let him know that she saw through him, as always. Like Athos needed a bruised abdomen to know that. The four musketeers spilled out of the cramped skimmer and onto the grass. Pigtails and Bonnie emerged from the hoyden and ran towards them with a reluctant Bazin trailing behind. No sign of my lord, said Pigtails, the words bursting out of her with juvenile excitement. But we found Agent Cho easily enough. Is it too much to hope? She's in the pub, Athos said wistfully. The home-brewed beers of the Foile watering hole were one of only three things he missed about his home. Pigtails blinked at him. How did you know? Grimaud waited for them outside the fleur and anchor, swaddled in a thicker star-scarf than she usually wore, and scowling at the world. A tension that Athos had not even realised he was carrying, unwound at the sight of her. He always felt better when he knew she was near and safe. In there? he asked without greeting. Grimaud nodded, peered at him for a moment, checking for injuries, and went back to pretending he didn't exist. Musketeers inside, Engie's out here, in case there's trouble, Athos commanded. The Engie's grumbled about this distribution of labour. For when there is inevitably trouble, Athos clarified, if you spot our target, or anyone suspicious, do not engage them on your own. The NGs all took on 
oddly similar expressions at this piece of advice, even Bazin. How did that level of sarcasm even work on an android face? It's sweet that you think you're in charge, Bonnie informed him. Athos staved off any possibility of an Athos and Engie's smackdown by staring him inside the pub. Porthos and D'Artagnan followed close behind. Nostalgia swept over Athos like a heavy curtain full of knives. The smell of this place was exactly the same. Beer and coffee and browning pastry soaked into the deep grey stone of the walls and the slate of the floor. He knew the barman, though he didn't remember his name, an old man with a flat expression who, of course, knew who Athos was the second he stepped in the door. This was a mistake. No going back now. After a brief sweep of the room, with no sign of Agent Cho, Athos stepped up to the bar. Black hair, scar, he said. The barman made a grunting noise and pointed. Courtyard. Cheers. The lack of questions made Athos feel oddly light-headed. It had always been like that in here, he remembered. Everyone knew who he was. The young comte from the big house, who lost his parents too young and married an outsider straight out of university, then later executed his husband on the village green for being an alien spy. No one had ever said an unnecessary word about any of it when he was in here and needed a drink. Does everyone talk like that around here? He heard Porthos hiss to Aramis. A whole town full of Athoses. They crowded into the doorway that opened onto the walled courtyard. Athos, with D'Artagnan beside him, the other two squishing into them from behind. Oh no, D'Artagnan breathed. Special Agent Rosne Cho paced back and forth in fury, arguing with empty air. She flung her arms, hissed between her teeth, and got up in the face of her invisible opponent. An arc ray twirled between her fingers. There wasn't room to draw a sword, so Athos went for his stunner, knowing Porthos and Aramis were blocked from making the shot. He didn't bank on D'Artagnan, who slipped out from his side and marched right up to the raving agent. You idiot, D'Artagnan accused, shoving her. You drank something he gave you. Of course I didn't, Cho said, whirling on D'Artagnan, not pointing the arc ray at her as such, but not holding it safe by her side either. What the hell do you think I am? How about a traitor? Cho scoffed, then turned to address empty air again. Shut up, you. Keep out of it. You've got winter in your head, D'Artagnan accused. Don't you? He slapped a patch on my wrist while I was flying the skimmer, Cho admitted sullenly. What do you mean, traitor? I'm leading this fucking mission. We were supposed to be working together, Dana howled, until you ran off hand in hand with the target. I would have brought you along for the ride, Buttercup, but you were too busy being catatonic over the death of your boyfriend, and somehow 
I don't think your presence would have made me, Lord, less suspicious of my motives. Shut up, both of you, Aramis ordered, stepping between D'Artagnan and Cho. This is all very sweet. Getting your feelings out in the open. Usually I'd be all for it, but I'd like to ask a question. Can he... And she indicated the empty space where Rosne Cho had directed her non-D'Artagnan-related anger. Hear what we're saying? How am I supposed to know how this works? Cho demanded. I think he can listen in, D'Artagnan said sourly. If it's like the others, why do it otherwise? Then I suggest we get on with arresting our target without a digital spy in our midst, said Aramis. Agent Cho looked murderous. You can't leave me out of this. This is my mission. I think we're past that, aren't we? Aramis countered. Athos lost what little patience he had left. He lifted his arm and shot Agent Cho through the head with the pearl-white beacon of his stunner. She crumpled and D'Artagnan caught her awkwardly, lowering her to the ground. That's one way to win a conversation, muttered Porthos. She didn't tell us which way he went, D'Artagnan protested, looking down at the unconscious Cho like she could will her back awake. I know which way he went, said Athos. Come on, we've got one more stop to make first. He headed back through the pub, with three musketeers following him. He heard Aramis hang back to instruct the Engies about returning Cho to the ships, but did not slow his pace to give her a chance to catch up. That was why she had those long legs, after all. Finally, Athos stopped at the edge of the village and knocked sharply at the bright red door of a whitewashed building. A familiar figure emerged, cloaked all in red, her face masked and her hands covered. Mother, said Athos, and kissed the gloved hand that extended to him. It felt like ice beneath the light silk. Time to go. The red-cloaked figure nodded and set out before him, leading the way out of the village and up the well-trod path to the higher pastures and the oversized house that had been built to overlook the entire province. Come on, he said to his friends. They glanced awkwardly at each other before hurrying after him. Athos, is that actually your mother? Porthos asked. No, he said. Surprised she'd thought so. My mother's dead. Then, that's my priest, he explained, following the red mother up the path towards his worst nightmare. His three best friends in the world followed him without further comment. Thanks for listening to Sheet Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories 
for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.